What is up, guys? Welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. Today, we got another special one for you guys. This man is so, he has so much energy. Uh, he always, I mean, welcome to a fellow deal maker. Mm-hmm. What's Alex- up, my deal makers? <laughs> <laughs> welcome, Alex Camacho. This man owns uh the island home offer uh cash offer options he's originally out of california buys and flips houses in california moved out to hawaii for a little bit uh, might be coming back to california now we're going to talk about all the details and uh the cool thing about alex is you know he actually got dakota started on some habits we got our five minute journals i think we just took them off the desk uh so he's helped create culture He's helped uh, people be more more of givers. You know, when I think of Alex, I think of somebody who likes to give unconditionally, show people what he's up to. He's not into that stealth wealth. He's trying to make everybody abundant. So he has a weekly call he holds. He gives back constantly. He's all over social media. He's full of energy. I couldn't believe how old you were. I was like, dude, you act like you're 20. <laughs> and Alex, are I'm you, an old dog, man. <laughs> did I get it right? Are you over the hill? Yeah, 41. So wow. sometimes a bit surprised, but I don't know, man. I just, uh, I love life. And um, unfortunately, I found this real estate investing thing, right? And I'm very passionate about helping other people do the same and you know, design the life of their dreams. They can do in a matter of years. And you know, that's kind of generally my message. I like to talk a lot about that. Love it. Thanks for coming on, bro. We appreciate you. I know you're a busy guy. So we appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us and then talk to our listeners, man. So. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I've respected and been, you know, we met a couple of years ago now, right? It's about, about two years, I want to say, but I've been in uh, the same coaching program as, as you guys have been. And I'd love to see your growth and also how you've contributed to the alumni and all the people that we're around and also the, the amazing business and lives that you guys are creating for yourselves. So I'm happy to share my story, answer any questions, and how, hopefully that could help your audience and you know, relate to whatever I'm working on. And um, I'm excited to just bring it, you know, let's do it. Yes, sir. So uh, I, I see you all the time posting about meetups that you're going to, seminars that you're going to. It seems like you're constantly, you know, like I think Dakota and I went to nine this year, like nine in total, you know, across 12 months. It looks like you do more than that. <laughs> so how do you get anything done and uh also <laughs> what is what are words of encouragement or uh uh you know what would you say to folks who are like ah yeah you know i'd rather just kind of listen to bigger pockets and you know read some books and whatnot and i don't really know if like those seminars and masterminds and networking and meetups are for me it's kind of expensive flying you know yeah of course so um i think the first thing i'll say is that you have to spend time money energy on things that really work that you see that work in your business in your life and once i started to network more uh when i was earlier on on my journey in real estate investing i just noticed that it helped speed up my learning curve right i got to meet people that were doing things bigger than me uh you know i got to ask questions uh and you know it is work people think that just by meeting people that you know that that that's just kind of like smoothing or you're just kind of hanging out with other people no i mean what you're doing is you're expanding your mind by being around other people. And so sometimes that serves a purpose of inspiration because you're inspired by other people. Sometimes um, you're the one inspiring people based on where you're at in your journey. Uh, other times you're learning specific techniques, tactics that's working right now currently because in this business, as you two know, 
it's moving it's a moving target you know it's a moving puck so things change and you got to keep your finger on the pulse and um, it's hard to do that from afar uh, but when you're talking to someone that has a, a robust business in the same field uh, and you're able to ask questions or the way these uh, conferences and courses and uh, these events are structured is structured in a way where you're learning stuff and then also connecting with other people so there's just so much value to it and I guess to answer your question, how do I get things done? Well, I mean, I have I built an amazing team where you know I pour so much into them and train them and and you know and really help them be in the best role and what they're doing for our company and for our business. You know, and I, I was actually I'm gonna do a video. I had this thought about delegation because I think it's also a skill that you need to learn, right? Like delegating things to other people um, is something that is not easy. I don't know if you can hear it. There's an airplane flying over, but. Um, if you delegate correctly, you can get so much more done. And so I think that's also, and then, you know, as entrepreneurs, and I think we really want to just have control of everything. And it's hard for us to kind of let go, particularly something that maybe you're good at. And I think as you grow, um, you know, that thing, that's the next challenge. At the, at the beginning, when you're, you're just starting out, well, you're kind of doing everything. But then you start to grow a little bit. Well, then you got to bring someone on to fill in your weaknesses. And then after that, you actually have to bring in people to fill in things that you actually enjoy doing. And you know, so these are just new levels um, that, are, that are happening along the way that will help you get more stuff done. So I, I don't know, did that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. Who was, who was your uh, first hire then? And then was that hard for you to hire your first person? Or were you like so busy? Like, dude, I need somebody. What did that look like? Yeah, great question. So I think um, also I like to step back on that too, is that I think from the beginning, you need to determine or decide whether are you looking to just be an investor and maybe you have something already going on like a well-paying job or something and you want to do that kind of on the side and to supplement your income or is it something like you really want to build a business and for me from the very beginning is i wanted to build a business i want to have a, a team um i wanted to build a business so that way i can create um these opportunities for myself to build wealth and then also create opportunities for my team in that as well so i think that there's this kind of a difference there and then there's also different business models right it's like oh do you want to like primarily be a wholesaler do you want to do fix and flip um and you kind of have to make those decisions i think at the front end so then that way it helps you with your action and so like i made that decision very early on like hey i'm not interested in just being an investor and just doing some deals i would like to build a business and to build a business you need to have a team and employees and uh, team members. So um, my first hire was actually just a simple virtual assistant. He stayed with me for about a year. Um, I like to say at the beginning, um, I was a weak leader. I'll admit that I think that you have to be um, open to what you know you're not good at so that you could work on those or fill those in within, you know, so then that way you can t continue to get better. And so I knew that like, shoot, like I, um, I had this, you know, virtual assistant and he worked out well. I actually come through, I met, uh, I met somebody at Mastermind that had like a virtual assistant company. And that person recruited that person for me. I had to pay a fee, but they were kind of somebody that fit the role I was looking for. Um, but then I did mismanage him. And then I made all those mistakes of, because at the early on when you're not, I'm not naturally a good, I mean, a natural leader. I'm more of a hunter, more of a you know, hustler, more of somebody that would get after it. Um, and then I just didn't have enough accountability for him. I didn't have enough structure for him to like, you know, a job description and all these things, what his real roles and responsibilities were. And he worked out pretty well at the first kind of, six months, but then afterwards it just kind of went downhill because, um, you know, I, I just didn't manage him well and I just don't really like managing people. It can be very messy. Uh, and then you, then you want to just kind of take control over. So, um, yeah, so that was my first hire, but then I did learn a lot. And then I, you know, I have been able to, to you know, improve as a leader and also uh, manage people better and have them, you know, very specific roles. And so then that way they, they know what to do and then, you know, just things work out better.
Yeah. What, what would you say, like, just give us two biggest lessons that you learned um, from that that are like tangible or that you implemented whenever you, before you hired your next person? Well, I think uh, the first thing that comes to mind is that, uh, as I just mentioned, like a, do- a very specific job description, um, you know, you go out and hire and say you need somebody in marketing or you need someone in acquisitions or you need someone in project management. Yeah, that's a general role, but what specifically do you need them to be doing? And, and that way there's already that groundwork of like, hey, this is like your main role. Other things will come up, but this is what I really need you to get done. And, and then um, also, uh, I think the second big thing comes to mind is that some people are, are going to be better than other. I mean, they're more prone to be in certain roles because of the personality. And I think you guys have done that. I've done that where we take these uh, personality tests and these assessments to just help identify like, hey, what is it that you, Tony and Dakota do better than everybody else? What is your natural skill set, your natural way of thinking? So you can just lean into what you're really good at. You can become great at something a lot easier if you're already kind of naturally talented in that area. And so um, I say those are two big areas, having job descriptions, very clear role for someone, and then also identifying like what it is, because it also, they're going to be more engaged if, if they're naturally good at something rather than just like an uphill battle with something that like, I hate being in front of Excel and these spreadsheets and all that. I mean, I do it because I need to do it. Uh, the job of a CEO actually ends up being very financial. I'm sure you guys are well aware of this. So it isn't something also natural to me. So there are things that you're going to have to do outside your, you know, your comfort zone and outside of your natural skill set. That's fine. But you need to be spending the majority of your day on things that you're naturally talented at. That's my belief. And I've seen that to be the case. Love it. So let's, um, let's go back for a second. Uh, give the people at home an idea. Like uh, you can brag a little bit. We want to hear about your accolades, what you've accomplished, how many buy and holds you got, how many deals you do. You know, if you wholesale, if you flip. Uh, folks at home want to want to hear all about your success. They want to hear the numbers. Okay, so yeah, and then, of course. wait, and then wait. I, I also want to hear where you came from because everybody's just a kid from somewhere. So first, we want to hear what you got, and then where you came from. Absolutely, brother. I'm I'm happy to brag a little bit. I think it's important and that you you know that you once you accomplish some things that. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate? It's not like what you see on HGTV. We created a course to show you how to really invest and create a profitable flipping and wholesaling business. We give you marketing strategies like how to pull lists, who we target, and where we find the money. We go over sales, which includes live calls and negotiations, scripts, role-playing, and so much more. Everything that you need to know to flip houses is in this course. And if there's anything that we missed, we will create a video to answer your specific question. This knowledge has made us over a million dollars and we're selling it today for just $997. Click the link below. You know, I think Brian talked about this recently, like you gotta be your own PR, right? And no one else is gonna be for you. Um, But so right now, currently I own a real estate investment company based out of Southern California. We fix and flip uh, about 25 properties annually. It is a seven-figure business. Um, working towards getting that to a multiple seven-figure business. Um, and then with that, um, we've uh, now recently used that revenue and the profit from that to start buying multifamily for the long-term hold. So I bought an 18-unit building wah, 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 yep. in, in Phoenix. Know which I'm super proud about because, um, you know, everybody was judging me from the you know beginning. Oh, you don't have enough rentals or what's going on? Why are you flipping everything? You should hold everything, you should burn. And I was always just thinking in my head, like, shut the fuck up. Like, you don't know what, <laughs> like, you don't know what I'm working on. You don't know. It's like people judge what you're working on and they don't even know yep. like the bigger picture, right? Yep. Um, and so then we got that 18 unit where we're doing a value add on that and that will provide a, a, a six-figure passive income for me once that's done by the end of the year. So super proud of that. About two years ago, um, I ended up, 
moving to Hawaii, I got this amazing opportunity through just working hard, through attending masterminds. And I got built a relationship with uh, most people know who he is, Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets. Uh, he's become a great friend, a mentor of mine. And so I moved to Hawaii uh, to be along, to kind of work alongside him and, and kind of mentor under him a little bit. And then um, over the last two years, I've acquired four properties on three islands of Hawaii. And one of the properties um, has over a million dollars of equity. Um, we're, we're working on a refinancing right now, but I'm going to keep that one. So I have a, house, a beach house in Oahu, a big uh, you know, house on Maui. And then um, I'm transitioning and moving back to L.A., um, working on 14 projects in L.A. So those 14 projects comprise mainly in fix and flip, but I'm keeping about four or five of them as burrs or short-term rentals. You know, so a mix of, uh, you know, like one or two Airbnbs and the other are long-term rentals. And, and so, um, and then just kind of working on continuing to grow my team and my brand. And uh, we also, um, like you mentioned earlier, I host a weekly free webinar, uh, literally just giving the game away for free. Uh, we do deal reviews. We interview uh, special guests. Check out the podcast that we interviewed you two on there. Uh, so we have that. And then sometimes we're teaching something specific um, because I also wanted to create something kind of in my market that I didn't see existed because Southern California, just like other markets, but Southern California, very sharky, you know, people are just keep, keep things close to the best. So I, I'm creating this, one, the largest real estate, um, most well-connected, most go-giver mindset community in Southern California of investors. And then, so we host meetups like every 45 days or so. The last one we had uh, close to 300 people for free. And then just really connecting people to, you know, to transform their lives to real estate, like, you know, like I have. And also about a year ago, um, I ended up uh, getting a place, a penthouse apartment down in Guadalajara, Mexico, where my family is from. And uh, just, I, I get the chance to go down there, live like a king for next to nothing. Uh, I love it. I'm very happy. It's great being in Mexico, single. And, <laughs> <that's just laughs> it, yeah. and then, uh, you know, pretty much just, I've been flying around back and forth between LA, Maui and Guadalajara and other places. And that's why people have kind of, you know, recognized like, damn, how's this guy doing this? He's doing all this and he's flying around, kind of living the life. And um, I designed it that way from, um, you know, just adding things along the way. Um, I think I bragged enough there. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> so is that, oh, and then where I came from, really like humble beginnings, man. I grew up in LA, I mean, I'm poor, like literally uh, just projects, you know, living in the ghetto, um, you know, working class family. My mom, my mom was a house cleaner. My dad worked, you know, in the restaurants for McDonald's um, and then just, but they, they instilled a lot of values in us as far as worth ethic, you know, valuing relationships, uh, not doing illegal things, like being able to come up in this country, you know, in a legal way, um, and, and just definitely just having um, just good ethics. And then um, I just worked hard and basically got a job in banking right out of high school. Um, that gave me a great financial foundation there. And then I kind of fell in love, which is like, hey, man, I think I could you know, be something in life because I saw other people that had money and went banking. Then I went to mortgage business, made a lot of money in my early 20s. And then during the recession, I lost everything. I mean, I literally was making hundreds of thousands annually at 23, 24, had the Porsche, had the fancy stuff. And then the market crashed and I lost everything was back on my mom's couch. And it was a crazy story, but then like, I always believed in myself. I've always had a lot of ambition. So, you know, through real estate investing, I've been able to kind of climb my way back up and, you know, and it's been a difficult journey, but I, I always believed I would come back up. So, yeah. That's awesome. I, I got a, a question for you now, because I always think about this a lot. You know, you said, uh, you're like, dude, hey, everybody's asking me, I'm flipping these properties. Like you're doing like seven, like seven figures in your business. And then people are asking you, you know, why aren't you holding rentals? And like a lot of these people like might be doing pretty well too. So how do you balance like finding your own vision? You know, you got a plan, 
but then also like still being humble enough to like take advice from these other high level people. Like, how do you balance that where you're like, F you, I'm going to do what I want to do. Cause like you should, and you need to as a, you know, as a visionary to create the lifestyle you want, cause nobody knows you better than you. But then also like seeing like, Hey, maybe I'm on the wrong path. Oh, that's such an incredible question. And what that brings to mind is that I read this book called Mastery by Robert Greene. He's also read other uh, written other books uh, such as 48 Laws of Power, 50 Law, Laws of Human Nature. But he's one of my favorite authors. And in that book, it discusses like the apprenticeship model of, you know, back in the days, if you wanted to be a carpenter, if you wanted to be a blacksmith, if you wanted to, you know, do a trade or something that was going to make you some money, you had to go work for someone for like seven years. Right. And, and there, he gave a lot of examples of the modern day and past masters of their trade. And what I took from that book was this mindset of like, I have to go work for these mentors or be around these mentors. But at the end of the day, I'm going to outgrow them. At the end of the day, I have to think for myself too. Because sometimes the mentors that you have, based on the context of your relationship, for example, like if you're working for somebody in the investment field, there is kind of this underlying thing where i mean yeah they want you to to grow but they want you to grow kind of just enough to help them but now i'll grow them that's just kind of the nature of, of mentee mentor relationships so i really understood that once i read that book and I, I i understood that i need to be around these people but they're not going to live my life for me i still need to make those decisions i still have to do that deep thinking and and, and then decide for myself what kind of life and business i want based on everything i'm learning from them and nobody's perfect so your mentor might have you know some flaws and so you have to understand that just because this person's successful in one area of their life doesn't absolutely mean that you want to copy everything they're doing so i think that that's the way i look at it i love it i think um uh, you touched on something you said that you lost everything you know 23 24 years old you lost everything uh in real estate in general you know people seem to struggle with the amount of risk that you take like for instance dakota and i have over four million dollars worth of debt and so you obviously don't own everything cash and you are willing to leverage, uh, which still suggests that you're willing to take big risks in order to get what you want. How did you go from losing everything to not falling into being extremely conservative, to not playing a smaller game, to not, you know, trying to reach your full human potential again? Uh, what made it so that you decided that it was time to go back into it and time to grow and time to share and time to give and time to push, you know, yeah, great. what, what great helped you figure out that like you were going to be able to do it again and gave you the confidence? Yeah. Great question. Cause no, without a doubt, my confidence was shaken. It, it was very difficult. I struggled, um, went through depression, went through some really tough times, but you know, after the, the, the storm and after really things kind of settled down a couple of years, you know, after I lost everything or right around that time, I began to you know get better habits. You know, you know this self reflection is super important because we all have character flaws. We all learn things from our parents that are great, but also we learn things that are not great. And so what ends up happening is that you you need to do this reflection. See, like, well, how can I get better? What did I make? What part did I play in losing everything? Right? What part was it my fault? Because you do need to take responsibility for your decisions. And I did. You know, um, I didn't have mentors. I didn't have good habits. I was in a toxic relationship at the time. I was just like, woe is me. Oh my God, I'm losing everything. Like I'm, I'm just in this, like in my own head. But it took some time to realize, hey, you didn't really buy any assets, right? You didn't really build a sustainable long-term business. You didn't do this. So there's all these things that just started to come up where I'm like, 
Well, let me go back to let me go back to the drawing board here. And then during that time, I discovered the real estate side of things because keep in mind, I was on the mortgage side, mortgage finance side of real estate. So that I, I like what I was doing because I, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, but I didn't really love the mortgage business. But when I became a real estate agent during the recession, I didn't make a killing on it, but I did see the investors that were you know, buying houses that I, that I knew were going to be worth more because they were at the bottom. I mean, I saw houses that were, you know, here in Southern California that were once worth five, $600,000 that were now being sold at like 300,000 in gray neighborhoods and areas I knew very well. I'm like, dude, this is not going to last. This is going to go back up. And I seen them making like a hundred thousand a flip. And then I'm here going, working six, eight, sometimes longer months of getting this short sale approved. And I saw like, well, Hey, if they're, if I'm doing all this work, I'm making like 10 grand and they're making like a hundred, like I'm on the wrong side of this thing. I should be a real estate investor. And I really have a lot more passion and love for the physical real estate itself. I love properties, the transformation. I'm not a handy guy, but I just love real estate, the buildings I mean, commercial, single family, just how it impacts everybody. I think real estate is such an appealing business and industry because it's a universal thing. We all are affected by it. Whether you're renting a bedroom in this rural town or you have you know, a mansion in Beverly Hills, like there is so much real estate. And so I think I found that like, damn, this thing is something I can kind of go all in on. And I just took a much longer view of it. I was like, well, if I'm going to get into this business, I can't expect to be coming up in like two, three years. Like I did kind of with the mortgage business because that run up was a bit easy. You know, it was easy to get loans. Uh, you know, if you had a pulse, they would give you a loan. It really was kind of like that. So it was kind of like the wild, wild west. And I understood, I'm not stupid. I understood that that like probably wasn't going to last, but I was too young to understand that like I needed to have mentors. I needed to buy assets. So yeah, I just found that the, that the real estate fit me better. Um, I could go in it all in. I could look at it like I'm going to go into this thing for a decade. I remember just thinking about that. Like, I'm, And part of it was that book mastery I discussed where it was like, well, if I if I commit a decade of my life to something and give it my heart and soul and I work at it, I will be okay after that decade. I know for sure. Right. And and that's the way I approached it. And you know, I'm five years into this thing on my sixth year and my life is far exceeded right now what I ever expected when I first started. Are you letting deals fall through the cracks because you don't have good systems in place? We've been there before and we've tried several different CRMs and Ari Simply has been the best. Ari Simply tracks your KPIs, does automatic follow-ups for you, and even records your incoming phone calls. The system is simple to use and has more features than we even know what to do with. If you're looking for a great CRM, try Ari Simply today. We put the link in the description. Check it out now. Awesome. So uh, go back to when you first got started in real estate, what did that look like? And what were some of the early struggles of getting started? Sure, sure. So when I first started, I started listening to Bigger Pockets. Um, I, I came across the podcast and just went all, on, all in on that. I started listening to a lot there because when I decided that I wanted to real estate investing, uh, it, it was some years ago. It, it was like 2006, 15, 16, when I really started to have the bug, I'm like, like man, I think because I had done the short sales like 13, 14. Um, and then I just really started looking at it. I'm like, well, how do I get in? I don't have the money. Uh, and then I started listening to the podcast. I kept discussing like go work for somebody or go pay somebody for a course or something like that and, and learn the business. I didn't have the money. So I'm like, well, maybe I have sales skills. I have negotiation skills. I'm good at that stuff. I'm a hustler. I'm ambitious. I should just go work for an investor. So I, I literally just went on Craigslist. I looked up sales roles for investors. I applied to two jobs. 
One of them didn't call me back. The other guy called me back. He interviewed me. He was a savage investor here in SoCal, flipping like 20, 30 houses a year, making seven figures, and then uh, doing basically exactly what I wanted to do. So I just listened to the podcast, said do that, and I went and go do that job. Now, part of that, though, is that I had built up a little bit of an Airbnb arbitrage business where I was making like about $5,000 a month on uh, some units, somewhat passive because I had built up a little system with my brother. We had 10 units in Hollywood and uh, we were making, you know, the spread on, on, on the Airbnb arbitrage. And it was pretty early on. It was like 2015, 16. So it wasn't a bunch of regulations yet, but I did realize that it was kind of on shaky ground because like, I don't own this real estate. They can implement regulations and all that stuff. I kind of understood that. So I was like, this is my time. I got kind of my core bills paid. I have a little extra time. Let me go work for somebody. So I want to go work for him. And the big struggle with him was that he was, he was very frugal. Let's just say uh, my, my compensation was $3,000 a month and $2,500 a deal. But he wanted these monster discounts, deep discounts that he was going to make like $100,000. He didn't even want to touch the deal. And that was a real struggle. But then it made me better because I had to find great deals. Otherwise, he wouldn't buy it. Otherwise, I wouldn't make it. And I, I mean, $3,000 a month in Los Angeles, I mean, not a lot of money. <laughs> I was making the other money, like I said, but even with the three and the five, like $8,000 a month um, was, I mean, it's, it's good, but it, it wasn't certain like where, because remember, I was used to making you know a lot more and or I, I believe I could make more than that. And I wasn't getting into the business to come back and make the same I was making the mortgage business. I think my best year in the mortgage business, I, I made like 330000 So I was going back for like the stars. Like I'm trying to make half a million. I'm trying to make a, a million dollars a year, but I had to go work for him. And he would lie to me about construction costs. He would omit things. He really just wanted me in the role to, to get him deals. So that was really hard because I knew that this guy was kind of like just basically holding me back. He just wanted to give me just enough information to get him deals, but not enough to really learn more of the business, like how hard money loans worked or how he was structuring the deals. He just wanted me to know the bare minimum. And then also I didn't really get along with some people inside the firm because um, like they were kind of also basically kind of on the same team of him where they just like keep them in their place, keep them as, you know, they just wanted me to be, be a telemarketer. And um, so I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit because even though I was doing deals, like I was getting him like one deal, two deals a month and he was making huge profits. I was only making like five grand a month with him and he's making like a hundred. I was like, Dude, this, this, is, this is crazy. So a lot, the, the struggles were a lot of it with mindset there at the beginning because I wanted to quit. But I knew again, with that 10 year decade time horizon that this was just kind of my apprenticeship phase. It was just temporary. I wasn't going to be there long-term. And the minute I stopped learning at that role about a year in, I left and I was recruited by a bigger company and that company provided me with a better compensation plan and more resources and more ability to make more, to be able to save enough to eventually do it on my own. What, what was their uh, compensation plan, the new company? So they were paying me 10% uh, equity of whatever I brought in. They were a flipping company. So they were built uh, to buy 20, 30 houses a month and they were buying a lot of auctions, but they were bringing on an acquisitions department for MLS off market wholesalers and to get wholesalers uh, deals from them. And so I was making 10% plus I was making 40,000 a year. Plus I had a little bit of a, like a car allowance of 500 bucks a month. And so I was making more and I also had a lot more support. I actually, I had a role. I was like the acquisitions manager. This is a bigger firm. It was like going from college to the big leagues, e even though, I mean, he had a great firm and he was making money. He was like the only 
one making money. The, the guy I worked for before, whereas the second company, there was three partners. There was like six project managers. They were actively buying 20 houses, 30 houses a month. There was a lot more systems. So I was learning. Remember, I'm going back to that learning. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to learn more with this because I'm seeing more volume. I'm seeing the deals I'm buying. I'm seeing the deals they're buying. Like, this is super cool. And I was in the game I wanted to be in. I'm like, I'm in the flip game in LA. Like People talking about you can't do deals here. I'm buying a house a week. And my best month, I bought them eight houses because I was just grinding. But I was also learning. Like I said, I had a lot of support. And then I, I started to make some money then after that second year. All right. I got a couple of rapid fire ones then. How long did you work for each company? How much did you make in each company? And then uh, like, what did you learn that you implement now in your company for your acquisitions, guys? Wow, that's a lot. Okay, so the first um, company I worked for for about a year, I got them about, uh, I think it was 14 deals. Uh, the second company I made... I think like 50 grand. It was, wasn't very much. The second company that I worked for, uh, I, I worked for them for about 18 months. Uh, I made them like 1.5 to $1.7 million. And then um, I got them 54 houses in that year and a half. And then um, I made, uh, I think like in that time, a year and a half, about uh, close to $200,000. Wow. Um, and, and then um, I, I, uh, I saved the majority of that so that once i had close to a couple hundred grand is you know once i was ready to leave uh the first company where i really learned from him was negotiation how to analyze deal real granularly find that arv uh how to negotiate with sellers on uh, how to negotiate with agents uh just a mindset of an investor uh operating kind of at that level um and and just so that that was kind of the majority of what we learned from him and and then the second company i worked i learned from them just a structure of a bigger company uh the capital they had three or four high net worth individuals that were that provided like 30 40 million in capital and then they had a line of credit from a bigger uh, bank of like 50 million dollars but it had some i got really close with accountants so i kind of really understood okay how do we have this much fucking money this is a lot of money to buy a lot of houses like like i mean we're buying 30 houses a month in socal like i mean this is a lot of money so we're gonna understand kind of the level the you know different levels and then um also i, I learned a lot of that second company because there was nepotism and uh, basically, the the owners had certain people in roles, like they had their, one of them was like his protege, he was a real dickhead. And then there was this other, I know, there was this uh, other lady that was in marketing, but she was the sister of the owner, but she she, she was a real bitch too. And I'm, I'm sorry, excuse my language, but she was just like... <laughs> Man, like it was, they were hard to work with, and they shouldn't have been in those roles. So I really kind of learned at that second company a lot of things, to, what not to do. I saw that there was really a big disconnection between acquisitions and project management, where I'm making an offer on a property, and my number is tied to your number, and then you don't really give a shit about your number. What you're doing is just you're just like filling out a number. You're not really going, and you're trying to pad your number as a project manager because you just have a job and you just want to manage that project. You want an easy job. So then, you know, if you if you have sixty thousand dollars budget when this thing can come in at 45 you're just gonna you know tell me 60 but then i'm not gonna get that deal and then i'm not gonna get you know so there was just like this disconnect and i was like so i began to learn more about the uh, the rehab side because it isn't something i'm not naturally handy uh, it's not something that i really i don't i hate construction um and but it's a necessary evil what we do so i really i began to take um like drives with some of the 
project managers that I did get along with that were you know not better than the ones that were just kind of nine to fivers. There were some that really cared and that were really great at what they did. And so I had to take ride alongs with them. But what about this? What about that? I really just learned a lot more about the project uh, management side. And then in that, um, I become stronger overall because people would make fun of me at, at the company. They were like, well, why are you working on the weekends? Like, why are you going to your projects? Like you already bought that house. Like let the project managers handle it. But I'm like, no mofo, like this, this my money's tied to this. I need to see what's going on here, you know? And, and I would try to hold people accountable um and, and just really find out like this guy really knows what he's doing i can see his projects are moving faster this guy is lazy this guy is not engaged and so i really got to see the business side of things too um in addition to learning more about the rehab so i'd say those are a couple of things that stand out nice so uh today how is your operation different from some of your peers your friends your competitors and then how do you find your deals Awesome. Awesome. So right now, um, I think we're very different because of that go-giver mindset we talked about where, you know, we're providing this free webinar, we're providing this, this, you know, this environment, this community uh, of, you know, I call them the deal makers because I, my Instagram handle used to be real estate deal makers, uh, I'm sorry, real estate deal maker. And then everybody, you know, I start, once I started doing uh, the social media, um, everybody was saying, Hey, what's up everybody. Oh, what's up guys. And I just didn't, I was like, I want to be a little bit different. So I was like, that's where that developed. I'm like, what's up, my deal maker? Uh, because I just wanted to be different and kind of just stuck. Um, and then people started approaching me where they'd see me or recognize me or we do a meetup and then they come in all like hyped up. They're like, what's up, deal maker? <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then awesome. it just really started to kind of grow like a deal maker's tribe. So I think we're, that's a big difference of us that I, nobody in Southern California is doing the way I'm doing what we're doing, just creating this, this community. And then also... Uh, I have a hybrid business, right? Where I'm not, I mean, I do the majority of my business in Southern California, but um, I do in certain parts of Southern California that are not as sexy as what you see on TV or what you, or the areas that you might know if you know Los Angeles. So we do a lot of business in uh, the Palmdale, Lancaster, the Northern kind of more desert part, more kind of commuter town. People commute into LA to, for work a lot. It, it's um, not as sexy, not as cool. But man, we're crushing it in this area. There's less competition. The houses are newer. Um, people, there's less hustlers because people just don't really want to, they go out there for like slower pace of life. Um, so we, we really just focus mainly on flipping entry-level cosmetic houses. And then we use that profit, like I just mentioned, to buy uh, long-term assets like we, we just discussed. And then also like I'm remote. I'm a remote CEO. Uh, I, I mean, now I'm transitioning, moving back to LA because it has grown to a point where I just think it makes more sense with, you know, private lenders lending us money. And I got to be where, where it's at. Um, and but I you know, spend a good amount of time in Hawaii, a good amount of town, uh, time in Mexico. And so uh, I think that's something that makes us different. Um, we don't do high-end stuff. We don't do development. Like we're really locked in on what we're doing and our business model is very clear. Yeah. That's awesome. What does your uh, organization look like today or like your team members? Like who's in the certain positions and what exactly is a role or like a real brief overview of their role? Yeah, so um, currently I have 15 team members, 14 or 15. Um, we have four or five of our virtual assistants that handle social media, text message marketing, uh, admin, operation support, and project management support. So those are the virtual assistants, and they're uh, predominantly in Mexico. We do have a couple. Uh, we have one in Ecuador and one in the Philippines. And then the uh, um, the team is comprised of my right-hand man, my CEO, which you know, Will Wall, uh, he handles pretty much the, the, the operations and he also is in charge of like the acquisitions um, mainly and then it's just helping run the company. 
And then uh, we have uh, Mikey, who's our operations manager, just really kind of helps. Uh, he's, he's Will's right-hand man. Um, and then we have three project managers and three acquisitions managers. I think I named all of them. So that's uh, the, the project managers handle the projects. We have three because we have such a big territory. And then we have the other acquisition managers that are on the front end getting the deals. Um, the way we get deals right now, the majority of our deals are coming from wholesalers, MLS, and networking. And then uh, we also do, you know, some text messaging. We don't do any cold calling right now. It just was it stopped being effective uh, months and months and quarters ago. So we stopped putting money into it. Um, we still organically get organically get some deals through SEO um, and some PPC stuff. But uh, I mean, I, what I think is important, people like to ask that question, how are you getting your deals? Uh, at the beginning, you should really focus on the, you know, a couple of strategies, one or two, and then kind of once you get good at those, then to you know, add to that. Also, I talk a lot about like processing speed. Uh, the, the processing speed of opportunities is something that has been a strength of ours. We can get to deals quicker. You know, I can get somebody inside of a house in anywhere in Southern California within 24 hours, sometimes within a matter of hours. Like those things are very important because speed wins deals, uh, especially because you know, you're betting, you're looking through garbage, you're looking through bad deals, you're looking through retail deals deals all day long so then what you need to do then is be able to process that and see which are the highest and you know best opportunities and then jump all over those and then make offers and or lock those deals up so i think um you know how can you improve your processing speed for opportunities is something that you know people should really ask themselves that are working in this business love it awesome. yep. so you've grown your team to be pretty uh big now um, if you could look back, you know, your first hire was a virtual assistant that you said, you know, didn't work out very well. Like if you could go back and you're going to hire your first person again, who do you think the most important first hire is whenever you're, you know, doing this flipping or wholesaling business? I think the first one would probably be someone that complements your skill set, somebody that does something that you don't do well. Uh, for me, that was an administrative assistant, uh, but uh, for other people that might be a project manager, for other people that might be somebody you know, in marketing or, or whatnot. So it just kind of depends on what you're weak at. I think that that's really important to, to nail down. It's usually in those kind of areas, right? It's either like admin or operations or project management or acquisitions. Those are typically the, the areas that you're gonna need to hire in. If you're not good in acquisitions, but you need deal flow, well then just hire someone acquisitions and then you could run the projects you could, and or you could do the marketing and whatnot, depending if you're wholesaling. So I, I think, um, you know, that that's very important. Uh, what was the other part of that question? Well, I actually, I just thought of something else and that'll be the, uh, um, really it for it. Um, but how do you know when you're ready to hire the next person too? Cause that's always a hard part. It's like, you're like, oh man, like we're, it looks like we're making money, but like, we don't have a whole bunch of money in the bank account. So it's like, when do you actually decide to go ahead and do that? Um, I think that should be based on the business needs, um, what, what you're lacking, because it's like, a moving target. So since things change, uh, for example, one of our VAs recently decided to move on because she's going to be moving uh, out of the country and she couldn't work as many hours. So, you know, we're just, we got to replace her. Uh, but when you're more, when you're earlier on, uh, I, I, another example comes to mind is when I moved to Hawaii, even though I love acquisitions, that's my favorite part of the business. I miss my jam. I couldn't do the same job, uh, same role if I'm living on an island three hours behind then somebody being in LA getting after deals, we just talked about the speed is key. So that's when I brought in Will because it was natural. Like I'm going to go take advantage of this amazing opportunity that, I mean, thousands, of, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people would love to be next to Brandon Turner. And then through that, you're going to run the operation, the acquisitions here in LA, but that was a need. And it, it was even something that I was reluctant to give up because I, I wanted it in my mind. I was like, maybe I could do it. I'm, I'm a savage closer. I know I can do it. That's my mind 
you know, playing tricks on me. But the reality was that the business needed somebody boots on the ground that was also a closer and that was Will. So I think you really got to focus like what does the business need to get to the next level? And that could be at the very beginning or it could be where you're at. It is scary, you know, bring on payroll. But at the end of the day, I think, oh, and going back a little bit to that question is, you need to focus on people that have the values that you want. For me, those values are somebody that has a high level of like ambition, that someone that's driven, someone that really wants to put in that work and that that uh, the high desire. Because I found that people that don't have, they just quit. They quit and because when it gets difficult, they, they stop. So I would say that I'm looking for like the, the high desire, the integrity, the good communication, and that also they have the bandwidth and they don't have a million obligations. So those are a couple of things that I think is important to people to, to recognize. Like what do you guys align on your values and what's important to you? And somebody that has a high level of integrity and trust, because, you know, like you explained earlier, the folks that you came from before were a little bit shady. They weren't completely honest about their numbers. Then there was some politics going on in the second organization. So, you know, finding somebody that's really grounded, has a lot of integrity, somebody that you can trust, you know? Exactly, exactly. I mean, the value alignments are super important. So um, if, if you're not, then it's going to fall apart eventually. That relationship can't grow long-term because you see things differently. Yep, that's a good point, actually, because that's something that we do, too, is just for that exact reason that you talked about is like you didn't trust them. So we actually have it to where everybody can see our numbers. So our project manager gets paid a certain percentage of profit. Our acquisitions guy gets paid a certain percentage of profit. So they have access that they can go in and look at the settlement statements. They can look at the spreadsheets. They can go and look at all this stuff and make sure that we're being 100% honest because we got nothing to hide for them. Like we agreed on something and uh, they get paid really well. And we're making sure that like, there's no question whether or not like we're being honest. Like we're yeah, going to be- There's a hyperlink, a hyperlink I, with all the PDF documents from the closing. I love it. No, I couldn't agree more because I'm the same way too. Like I, in this business, people can see the numbers. I mean, they could kind of do their own numbers for themselves, but you yeah. don't want them thinking like, oh, you're, you're making X amount of dollars. And really after it's all said and done, you're making less than that. Or, you know, yeah. and then they start to, oh, well, I'm making uh, Tony Dakota millions of dollars. Yes. But also you put in the groundwork and you create an opportunity for them. So I, I, I also operate that way that I make sure they understand the numbers and, you know, people have to pay their dues. I paid a lot of dues. I made people a lot of money and I don't want them to come to my firm and expect to be making a huge amount of money in the first you know couple of months or first you know they got to pay their dues so yeah what is your why i think my, my big why is, is number one comes to mind is my, my parents my mom and dad like they're my rocks they've been uh amazing and um you know I, they're getting older um and i just want to be closer to them and continue to make them proud and make their life easier. And then uh, right behind that is just having the freedom to do the things that I want with the people that I want and just live a cool, amazing, fun, adventurous life. Um, and then, you know, impact people through that and sharing my journey to show like, hey, it's possible. I'm just, uh, well, I don't look at myself as average, but I'm just, I say, I, you know, I'm a normal person um, with a high desire for a better life. And if you have that, you can do that through real estate. So I, that's why I created, I'm creating this community here in Southern California, because I think there's a lot of people that deserve, deserve a chance. I got a chance in this business. You know, people gave me an opportunity and I want to give other people opportunities. Awesome. Uh, what is your biggest struggle right now? I think it's uh, uh, habits, having these positive habits. Um, you know, frankly, I struggle a little bit with uh, certain addictions. Like I smoke weed and, you know, things like that. And that could get a little excessive. Um, you know, I'm single. So, you know, going out there and trying to be a single man, it can be, you know, it can take a lot of time and energy. And then just with the stress, I mean, to be real with you guys, like I just have more acne than I normally have had in my life because of the high level of stress. I'm trying to really have more Zen in my life and more of these positive habits. 
Um, and then the last one I'll say is just like the constant up and down with having a lot of capital, not so much capital. And because you're buying and selling, and I'm sure you guys have gone to them like, where the hell is all my money? <laughs> Where's all my money? <laughs> and so I think those are all of them, but I'm working on every single one of them. And, and, and you know, that's what it is. You're always going to have a different challenge, um, you know, and something else is going to come up, but you just got to work on solutions uh, at the end of the day and, and not just, um, you know, get into this victim mindset. I mean, ultimately, I have an amazing life, and um, but it's not. It, it comes with a, a price that I have to pay every single day. Yeah, that's a that's a big misnomer. I feel like that people think that if you're making you know millions of dollars a year, that you have millions of dollars in your bank account. And like, that's the funny thing is like, as you know, you can be making millions of dollars a year, and like, that's not an exaggeration. Like, you're probably profiting over a million dollars, and yeah. you can still not have any money in your bank account. People really don't understand that. And I was actually just talking to our team about that. I'm like, man, like you guys are getting paid more than I am. Like you guys are making more money. Like Tony and I don't pay ourselves very much. And I was like, and the business got no money in the bank account right now. And I, I'm not joking with you guys. I'm like, like we really don't. Um, and it's yeah. interesting how that can happen because it's all going into the next one. I'm like, man, the only way we really see all this money is if we stop. But if we stop, none of you guys have a job. <laughs> so it's yeah. an interesting dilemma that I think that people cannot really appreciate until you're in it. And like the feeling of like all the people that are relying on you and then like making sure that it all happens. It's, it's a lot more pressure and stress than people think. I was actually just talking to my sister about this the other day, how she said she really wants to be comfortable. And, uh, you know, I asked her, I was like, do you think I'm comfortable? And she's like, oh, I mean, you know, I know you work hard. I know all of this stuff. And I'm like, no, I mean, let's say monetarily. Do you think I'm comfortable with money? She's like, oh, I know you are. I know you are. I'm like, you know, that's funny that you say that because last four months ago, we had $150,000 on credit cards. Um, I had all my money invested in the company. We're spending $50,000 a week on 20 properties we're uh, doing. Um, and our private money lenders are tapped out and we have over a million dollars under contract and our acquisitions guy who gets paid on commission is still finding more deals. So do you think I was stressed out about money at that time? Absolutely. So like whether you're rich or whether you're poor, you can still have money problems and stress about that. And it's interesting that people I think don't really appreciate that or see that they think that, oh, Alex is making a million dollars a year. He's doing all right. And he doesn't have any money problems when like you can experience money problems. It's just at a different capacity. Yeah, it's just a different level. And I, I'd say, I've had the same, same challenges with my team. Like, team, stop spending money. We need to hold for like a week, okay? Let's get another deposit that you guys are blowing way too much money. And, and they just, they don't see it. But on, on, also on the flip side of that, though, so I think that's why a lot of people don't make it because once they see like the real pressure that comes with this, you know, entrepreneurship and business, they, they just can't handle it. And um, so I, and I think you need to have these positive, you know, habits and all that. And I'm working a lot on that because, um, otherwise, like I go, I go nuts. So, um, you know, definitely thinking that you, you have to focus on that inner to to be better on the outer, right? To make sure that because it is these these numbers, they get really they get crazy. You're just these, these mood swings that you can potentially have with you know ups and downs are pr quite large, right? With the, the hills and valleys that we encounter with, oh, getting a huge payday, and then okay, no, we got these huge obligations. But at the end of the day, I think we we all know that it's uh, we're all at least us three know that. Um, we're doing it for a reason and a purpose and, um, you know, we can handle it, but it's just not going to be perfect. It's, it's going to be messy, but, you know, we'll get through it, you know, as long as you have the right mindset. Yep. Yeah. I like, I like how Dakota used the word comfort. Cause I keep this, uh, this quote in my phone. Now it says in the end, more than freedom, the Athenians wanted security. They wanted a comfortable life and they lost it all security, comfort, and freedom. That's by Edward Gibbon. That's and awesome. then, uh, something else I thought of when you said meaning, uh, 
Um, I have a t-shirt that I got from, uh, was, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name now. He's one of my mentors. Jordan <laughs> yeah. Jordan Peterson shirt. And it says pursue what's meaningful. And the story behind that is he talked about how people try to pursue happiness. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. But he says emotions are fleeting and humans have to experience a wide range of emotions. Like there are a lot of things you go through in your life. Your emotions aren't going to deliver as much value to your life as if you pursue what is meaningful. So I thought that was really cool that Coda yeah, brought that up. Absolutely, too. dude. Absolutely. Just getting a little bit better every day, I think, is a, a big thing for me, too. I was at the baseball game yesterday, and uh, the Dodgers game, I haven't been there for a while. And then there was a couple people, you know, in my network that are, were in the, you know, in the stands and in the in the arena. So they messaged me like, hey, bro, come over, say what's up. And those, let's just say those two people weren't like at the top of my priority list because like they've either been flaky. One of them recently flaked, kind of flaked out on a dinner. The other one has been flaky on some, some deal flow that we had before in the past. And my mind was just like, ah, you know what? Like, nah, I don't want to go, you know, hang with them, you know, meet them or whatever, say what's up. But then just I just I just thought about like you know what what do I got to lose man I mean they want to see me like let me go over there walk over say what's up and it was just such a valuable interaction to be able to like influence them and they're just like you know oh bro like man they're all hyped up to see me I'm like you know so when you do also have a certain amount of like influence too um you're not perfect but like you have to think about other people and not just yourself and how you might be able to impact people and and so I'm constantly trying to get better man because um you know I, I'm so blessed to be where I'm at right now that I can't forget that, that, you know, like it's really, uh, it's, it's a responsibility to give back once you have enough. Otherwise you're just like withholding value from the world. And so, you know, that's my big thing, just trying to get a little bit better every day, um, you know, and, and to just compound. Yep. I got a, I got a personal question now that I just want to know, when do you celebrate your flip? Like when you get it under contract, when the project gets complete, when you get the check, because like, that's where I'm, I really struggle with that. Like, when do you celebrate? Cause it's hard. I don't, it's funny. I don't really celebrate deals that much anymore, like in any, at any part of it until it's like, like done. Um, and just like, we lock up a deal. I mean, I might be happy. I might give celebration or thank or some type of praise to my team member that got the deal. Um, but I, one of the things I do every week, um, I like to talk about this on the, on my calendars. I input into my week, cool things, fun things that I want to do for myself first. So when I'm on Sunday, I'm like, okay, I want to go on hike at this place on Thursday. I want to go meet this uh, person, or I want to go on this date over here, or what you know. So I'll put in certain things into my week because for me, like, I want to celebrate life every single week, and I and I have this kind of model that I live by, or this mantra of like, I want it to feel like my birthday, like once a week, <laughs> not every day, and not every month, and not certainly not every year. But the, so that way I, I'm so fulfilled myself that I could give so much to everybody else because I'm like, man, I just went on this cool hike or I just like on Saturday, I'm, I'm going on a yacht with my brother. Um, he's, you know, I love spending time with him. He's like really into boating and stuff like that. So I'm like, yeah, bro, for sure. Yesterday we went to the Dodger game, but um, you know, it's one of those things that like you do have to celebrate your wins, but I'm big on just creating a life where it feels like your birthday often, or it feels like, wow, this is a cool life because then you're just grateful. You're like, oh yeah. man, I'm so grateful for this moment. I'm grateful for these consistent, amazing moments that like, I, I feel like I should give back more because I have so much. I get so much, you know? Well, dang, Alex has it. got us rethinking our whole freaking week structure here. <laughs> I guess we need to, we need to get a book of 52 things we want to do and get <laughs> right. scheduled in first. And they're simple things. They don't have to be like expensive. You know, I guess for me, the hiking thing or when I'm in Maui, I love free diving. So I just go out there and, and get in the water. So it doesn't have to be expensive either. 
now I know why you you were being honest about having an issue smoking weed because you're like, eh, you know, it's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> it's California, man. California got some great weed. It's, it's, it's tough, man. It's a challenge. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right if I, you know. Mm-hmm. It's my birthday. Uh, man, love you guys. Love you guys. <laughs> you guys have amazing questions. I do uh, podcasts and uh, things like this often, but uh, since you guys are high level, your questions are so much better than uh, a lot of the podcasts I've been on, man. I really appreciate them. <laughs> nice, Thank man. you. Well, we're going to get into some uh, closing questions now, actually. Um, so what would you say is your uh, favorite, best, or most interesting failure? Mm, failure, most interesting failure. Okay, so one of my uh, favorite ones was I bought this course for $16,000. It was a wholesaling course. I won't name the guy, but it was a good course overall. But I was so bad at the execution. Gosh, man, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I, I just, like this thing was just going to open. Like I was just going to open a box and it was just going to build itself, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so I, I just did a really poor job of executing that course. And it was like a 16-week course. And and I said it was $16,000 and I was all hyped up about it, but maybe it was just smoking too much weed. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And um, I ended up only getting like two deals from it. I mean, I did get an ROI on it, but I would say it was a complete failure because I could have done so much better. And when I tell people about, you know, certain uh, masterminds, of course, I tell people don't even come, don't even go unless you're ready to execute and implement because so much of what we do is actually implementing the stuff that we learn because the information is out there. It's the implementation and taking the action from that information that is going to get you the results. So I had an epic failure with that. And then every, but then every subsequent course, mastermind, all the stuff that I did invest in and purchase, I have taken so much more and I get better and better at at taking and and monetizing and implementing these ideas that I learned from everything that, you know, I invest in. Yeah. I'll say when I see you in future flipper, man, you are, uh, you're one that plays all in. I can tell like, and then, you know, whenever they're like, Hey, we need somebody to come up and share, dude. You're like one of the first people to go up there. Um, so yeah, I can tell that like, dude, when you're going there, you're, you're going and you're, you're going to implement and you expect to get value. So yeah. I yeah. You gotta be engaged. You gotta be yeah. engaged and you can't just sit there and be like a participant, like on the sidelines. And I learned that through the failure. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. I love that. So, uh, we're going to go deep like uh, Pacific ocean like real deep, nice. uh, you know, you're going to live until you're a hundred. So you're on your deathbed at a hundred years old and you have a final message to the world. It's your legacy. It's something that you think that the world needs to hear. It could be a paragraph, a billboard, a sentence, a saying, uh, but it's your message, your legacy. Uh, what do you say? Ooh, that's deep. <sighs> I would say invest the time to design the life of your dreams and then go and create it because it's within your power. Something like that. Yeah. I like it. That's a good one. Uh, How can our viewers get a hold of you? The best medium and the one I'm most active on is Instagram. So my handle is Alex Camacho. That's with the C, a TV. So you can reach out to me there. I do have a virtual assistant. It helps me with the DMs, but I respond to everybody I can. I produce a lot of content there. And um, that weekly webinar we do, we post it on my YouTube channel. I don't have a robust YouTube channel you can check out, but you can check out a lot of free game there. Um, and if you have any questions, I like specific questions, not how do I get my first deal or things like that. I want people to reach out to me based on action they've already taken. And then they, they want me to help them with a little, you know, something specific. Those are my favorite questions. 
Yeah, that's really good advice, actually, for for people who are listening, because uh, that's one thing that I've noticed um, whenever people are newer, they they don't ask the good questions. And like, that's really important is to ask the good question. They think they want the answer, but realistically, they're asking the wrong questions. So that's really yeah, good. Yeah, let me give you a quick example on that. It's like, so you message me and say, hey, what where are you getting your deals? That is a different question than you went out there and you cold called for a month. You went out there and made offers on MLS for a month. And then you asked me, hey, I'm having the same objection from agents. How do I handle this objection? Hey, I'm having this objection from sellers. You know, the, what, what's your pitch? Or what, what do you say to sellers and when they say this? That is a way different question that's going to get you better results than me just telling you, hey, I, we're making money through text message marketing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And they can they can go search that on YouTube and find a lot of different things. But then, you know, just like you said, like they're get, keep getting the same objection. That's gonna be a little bit harder to search too. You know, it's not just out there, you know, hey, this person keeps saying this, you're not gonna be able to type that in. So yeah, that's, that's definitely good advice. And hopefully something that, you know, anybody who's watching this, if you haven't done a deal or anything, like just keep that in mind, whenever you're asking questions, it's like people like Alex, people like us, like, we are extremely busy and we want to help. We really, really, really want to help, but you're asking the question that's not actually going to help. So just yeah. Yeah, keep that in mind. And then uh, how do people jump on your calls, your weekly calls, or how do they find um, them? We go online? on my Instagram. I have a link in my bio. So just, uh, that link on the bio has all my stuff. And one of them is uh, to sign up to the webinar and then check it out. And then um, also there's links to the, my meetups and, and the, the YouTube channel and some of my other podcasts that I've done. Awesome. Love it. Well, thanks again for coming on, bro. It's always a pleasure seeing you and dude, keep killing it. Let's go, baby. Let's go, my deal makers. Yes. All right. Peace out, bro. All right, brother. Thank you. That was epic. Appreciate yeah. you.